We're going to continue gospel according to Luke, and we're going to go through Luke chapter 15, verses 1 to 19. Come back to our Heavenly Father. This is the word of the Lord. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she lost one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and it began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pots that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will rise and go to my father, and I will say to my father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us this passage. We ask your Holy Spirit to help us understand more deeply through this passage that you are the initiator who took the initiation for our salvation. And it's in Jesus Christ, your Son, we're saved. Father, we ask you, open our hearts to understand, to remind us what an amazing grace 
that you have granted to us. We ask this in Jesus' name. 我们的祷告祈求是奉救主耶稣基督得胜的名。阿门。So this passage is very clear. This passage consists of three parables, and that's the structure for the sermon today. And we're going to look at the three parables one by another. The first parable is the parable of the lost sheep, and the second is the parable of the lost coin, and the last is the parable of the lost son. Let's look at the first parable, the parable of the lost sheep, in verses one to seven. Look at verse one. We read. Now the tax collectors and sinners will all join near to hear him. This verse shows that Jesus was mingling with tax collectors and sinners who were despised by the Jewish society. Specifically, tax collectors were the Jewish men who worked for the Roman government to collect tax money from the Jews, and the sinners refers to the immoral. Or those who followed occupations that the scribes held to be incompatible with keeping God's law, for example, a prostitute. But the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled. Here, they said, "This man receives sinners and eats with them." Obviously, Jesus was doing something religiously inappropriate to the religious leaders. The rabbinic tradition was that no one would associate with an ungodly person, so the rabbis would not even teach such a person the Old Testament law. This explains why Jesus eats with those people who were offensive to the religious leaders. From verse three to the end of the passage. With three parables of Jesus in response to the accusations of the Pharisees and scribes, to better understand those parables, we have to first look at their context. In last week's sermon, we read that Jesus healed a sick person on the Sabbath day at the house of a Pharisee. The tension between Jesus and the Pharisees consistently increases because Jesus calls the Pharisees out for their hypocrisy and cold-heartedness towards God's people. Jesus offended the Pharisees by performing miraculous healing on the Sabbath day, and revealed the internal sin of the Pharisees of distorting the original meaning of the Old Testament law. On the one hand, the Pharisees were silent because they were not able to argue with Jesus. But on the other hand, the poor, blind, and lame were drawing closer to Jesus Christ, who lovingly and unconditionally provided for their needs. Notice that the last verse of chapter fourteen, if you remember, says. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And chapter fifteen, verse one begins this very verse that these sinners gathered around to hear Jesus and experience His love. However, the opponents of Jesus, the Pharisees and other upper class 
of the society had reacted against Jesus' practice of mixing with tax collectors and sinners because politically and religiously speaking, Pharisees were separatists. Separatists. Let me explain this in Chinese a little bit. Separatists 就是分离主义者，他们认为违反了圣经的人要跟这些所谓的宗教的人士完全的隔绝，通过这种隔绝来坚持旧约圣经的立场，以至于他们可以保持这个民族的圣洁性。所以他们叫做separatists。so Pharisees were separatists and advocated a doctrine of salvation through segregation. And so Jesus' behavior scandalized them. With such understanding, let us come to the first parable of the lost sheep that Jesus says in verses 4 to 7. He says, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who needs no repentance. The first thing that we need to understand about this parable is that it describes the ultimate fulfillment of the promise of the Lord in Jesus Christ. According to Ezekiel, the Lord promised to come and fulfill the shepherding responsibility that Israel's shepherds had neglected. Ezekiel 34 verse 16 says this, I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed. Sadly, the kings and priests in Ezekiel's day had failed to keep this promise. Moreover, the Pharisees, lawyers, scribes, and priests in Jesus' time who were called to take care of God's people had not only failed to keep such promise, but also criticized Jesus for keeping or seeking the lost and strayed. However, this parable shows us how Jesus goes into this world to seek for the lost. And in such care of the great shepherd, Jesus Christ, the lost are found, and the strayed are brought back to God. And the promissory words of God are ultimately realized in Jesus Christ. So that's the first thing we need to understand of this parable. Secondly, through this parable, Jesus challenges the Pharisees in their values. None would think twice about moving heaven and earth to find the lost sheep, yet they object when Jesus goes searching for lost people. Because it is not uncommon that 99% has been gained. Who would leave the majority for the so insignificant 1%? Jesus teaches us in Matthew's 
18:10 to 14 regarding the same parable. In there, he has an amazing explanation of why such a common understanding does not line up with the attribute of God. So in Matthew 18:10 to 4, Jesus says, "See that you do not despise one of these little ones." For I tell you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? If he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. So, it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. For God, friends, there is 100% and 100% only. Because his sovereignty is the most high, that nothing can hinder him from bringing back those who have determined to be saved from eternity. None of this should perish in God's providential care and sovereignty, and it indicates a powerful and intensive commitment of God to each disciple and his special concern for those who are in danger. Such commitment is perfectly reflected in Jesus' eagerness of seeking the lost, his rejoice of finding the strayed, and his ministry of bringing people back to God. So no one will be perished, should be perished in Jesus Christ. And that's the Father's will. That's the second point we need to understand about this parable. Thirdly, this parable also implies that God takes the initiative to intervene in our sin to retrieve and protect his lost sheep. Notice all the verbs in verses 4 to 7, all the verbs, the actions. If he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country, and go after that one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. What did those verbs say to you, friends? All the verbs convey the divine initiative to recover those who are lost. In other words, it is God who takes the initiative for our salvation. He does not only initiate to intervene our sin, but also lays us on his shoulder to carry us to safety. That's a way to say the Lord is not only finding us, but also protecting us. Jesus uses the same parable to call leaders of his church to be proactive in protecting and retrieving members who go astray. 
last but not least of this parable is that it depicts the heavenly joy in celebrating the repentance of a sinner. Jesus says here, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. When a lost sinner is found, there is a party in heaven. There is a celebration in heaven. The angels of God rejoice that heavenly host celebrates that a human being has been redeemed. Nothing gives greater joy to God than when the lost person is found and is repent. So friends, I hope your faith and your gratefulness toward God are both encouraged and increased like I am. Your faith in Jesus Christ should be increased because our God is faithful. He never fails to keep his promise. He promised to seek the lost and find the straight, and he had kept it through his son Jesus Christ. He never failed. We are all witnesses of his faithfulness through our testimony of being saved out of sin and misery. None of us would deny that we were once the one lost sheep of the Lord. And Jesus purchased us with the heavy price of his blood and brought us back to God. John Newton, the English poet and Anglican clergyman, wrote the famous Christian hymn, Amazing Grace, in 1772. In the first verse, he wrote, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm fond. Twice blind, but now I see. That's beautiful. Yes, we were once was lost, but now are found through Jesus Christ. Therefore, you and I can come to God with confidence and faith because he is trustworthy and he never fails his promise to his people. Also, your gratefulness to Jesus Christ should be increased because it is God who takes the initiative to intervene in our sin even before we come to the knowledge of his saving grace. We were saved through Jesus Christ, not because we deserve or any works that we had done in terms of earning it, but solely because our God is the God rich in mercy and grace. And he poured his love to us when we were still sinning against him. Paul teaches us in Romans 5, 8, he says, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we know nothing of God's saving grace, when we were still trapped in sin, when we were so undeserving a hair of his grace, 
He had sent his son Jesus Christ to die for us, and we became recipients of this free and amazing grace. Therefore, the initiative of the Lord is the foundation of our gratefulness towards Him, unless He actively intervenes in our sin. We will still be agonizing and hopeless in misery. I hope you're encouraged. Your faith and your gratefulness towards God are increased. Now let's move on to the second parable, the parable of the lost coin, in verses eight to ten. The second parable about the lost coin delivers the same message. Actually, the author Luke considers the first and the second parables as one parable because they establish a general principle of the ensuing of the heavenly joy and celebration when the lost is found and repent. Jesus teaches in verses eight to nine. He says this. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light up a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, "Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost." Silver coins. Here refers to a ancient Roman money called drachma. One drachma is about a day's wage for a laborer. The ten coins may have been the woman's life savings, so it was precious for her. When she loses one coin, she diligently looks for it until she finds it. Look at those words: light a lamp. Sweep the house and seek diligently. Those terms depict us a character of this woman. She never gives up looking for the lost. Therefore, the second parable it is not about looking for money, but about this woman. She never gives up looking for the lost. So, friends. Are you a person who diligently searches for the lost souls for God until this person is brought back to Jesus? Are you a person who is obedient to God's calling of world evangelism to bring people back to Jesus? This is the core message of the second parable. It is about this person. It's not about Looking for money. Theologian and scholar R.C. Sproul comments. He says this: How far do we have to look in order to find people who are lost? They're all around us. There are millions of people in this world who know nothing of Jesus Christ, and yet the Lord of the Church has commanded us to go into all the world. When God commands us to preach the gospel and we refuse to do it or demean the vocation, we are being arrogant to the extreme. To deny the vitality of evangelism, as some within the Christian Church do, 
is treason. It is the mandate of Christ, and it is the example of Christ to seek and to save the lost. For when even one is redeemed, the angels rejoice. So friends, when was the last time that you reach out to your unbelieving friends and family or neighbor about the good news in Jesus Christ? Friends, when was the last time that you bring people to church? When was the last time that you prayed for someone who is not a believer? When was the last time you delegated the love of Christ to somebody? This woman's diligence should be inspiring to us. Saving sinner is God's gracious act, but it does not mean that we cannot be used by God instrumentally to serve such purpose. We can be a part of that. If you have any family members, any friends, anyone whom you love is not a believer, ask the Lord to use you to bring them back to Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, friends, the Christmas season is the perfect time to do so. The perfect time. Some say that evangelism is no longer necessary because God is absolute in his control. Thus, being diligent in spreading the gospel does no longer make sense. Well, this is a lie and a misconception. Jesus Christ clearly commands us in Matthew 28, 19-20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Friends, it is our responsibility to be part of the kingdom ministry. It is an honor and a privilege to be part of spreading the gospel to this world. Because Jesus made the seeking of the lost souls the central ministry of his life. And he commanded people to do the same. So we should listen and obey like the woman who seeks diligently in this parable. This is the foundation of Happiness for faithful believers, for verse 10 says, There is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So friends, let me tell you this. Being part of God's heavenly ministry does not only give the greatest joy to the Lord, but it also gives you the greatest joy. I have repeated this multiple times. The best way that you can love someone is to bring that person to Jesus. Love this person with Jesus' love. That's the best way. That's the greatest love that you can give to a person. So let me encourage you again to be inspired by this woman who diligently looking for the lost coin until she finds it.
And let's be a part of this heavenly ministry and let's set out to this world and work for God until we can bring those people who need Jesus, who need God, back to him. Let's move on to the last parable, the parable of the lost son in verses 11 to 19. Traditionally, this last parable was not grouped with the previous parables because the parable of the prodigal son is the preface of another parable, the parable of the welcoming father. However, the repentance of the lost son is important. So we're going to look at the first half of it, and we will finish it next week. So in verse 11, Jesus tells the story of the father of two sons. He says this, And the younger of them said to the father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. The first thing that we notice here is that this young man, this younger son, requests to divide his father's property. This was an unusual request in the ancient world. Normally, sons would inherit their father's estate upon his death. But there was a provision in the ancient Jewish law for a son to request the gift of his inheritance during his father's lifetime. Deuteronomy 21 required that the elder son receive twice as much as the rest of the sons. Since there were two sons in this story, so the younger son would receive a third of the total property of his father. And the story told us this father turned over a third of his property to this young man. Verse 13 says, Not many days later, this young man took his portion and took a journey into a far country. Why did he leave home? Well, the Bible doesn't give us all of the details. However, it is not uncommon that sometimes we like to travel to distant places where we know no one and where no one knows us, where we can do whatever we please without fear of being recognized or caught. In other words, this young man, by traveling to a distant country, he became like a lost sheep in the first parable. And in the far country, 
This young man wasted all his inheritance that his father granted to him in a very short period of time. The details regarding his riotous life are unclear. But we know how easy it is for people to spend a fortune when they are caught up in the rivalry of a wild and undisciplined style of life. While all his inheritance split through his fingers and completely gone, we learned that a severe famine arose in that country in verse 14. In order to survive, he was driven by his need to get a job to support himself. One of the local guys employed him and sent him to feed pigs. This job is more than just marking that this young man descended to the lower class of the society, but it signifies that he was seen as being cursed because his work brought the prodigal son into daily contact with animals that the Old Testament had declared to be unclean, which means that under Jewish law, he would not be permitted to observe the Sabbath day because he himself was unclean. His life was at the lowest point of dereliction a Jew could reach. So according to the Old Testament law, pigs are unclean animals. So any person associated with that kind of job is also considered as unclean. So this younger son got to the lowest point. He became despised by the Jewish society. As verse 16 says, he was longing to be fed with the pots that the pigs ate. How miserable that is. And no one gave him anything. No one cares. However, the story makes a U-turn in verse 17. It says, when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. All of a sudden, this young man woke up to the reality of what he was doing. He asked himself, what I'm doing? Even my father's servants have enough to eat, yet I am longing to eat the pods that the pigs ate. So he decided to return to his father and said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. This is a critical moment of the life of this young man because it is a moment that in a human being's life when they come to themselves and realize that they have sinned. 
not that they just made a mistake. We've been guilty of error in judgment, but they have sinned. What a beautiful moment of true repentance! The prodigal son is going back home to his father for forgiveness. And we all know the second half of the story that the father welcomed the lost son and rejoiced it with all he had. We're going to get to that part next week. But one thing that is particularly striking to me is the dramatic turning point of this young man. So dramatic, it's a U-turn. Verse seventeen says, "He came to himself." Just four simple English words. He came to himself. Symbolizes his maturity in terms of the ability to understand himself. People who are lost. Not only in the sense of lost in the kingdom of God, but also in personal terms, sinners do not even know who they are, what they're doing, and why they're doing it. A person can get so caught up in a kind of activity that he does not even know who he is anymore. So it's so striking to me. This young man woke up to himself before he went back to his father. He realized there's something wrong. Do you have this ability to come back to yourself, friends? Are you able to discern what is wrong with yourself? Before you come to God, you need to. Humble yourself and come back to yourself, knowing you're so sinful, you're so limited, and you need God. That's what exactly we see here happen to this prodigal son. Some people would argue it was the end of life pushed him to maturity. Very true. No one can deny that the external cause plays a huge factor in our conversion and repentance toward God. The Bible makes it clear that the most sovereign God can use anything to accomplish His kind purpose. So it is fair to say that the lowest point of the life of this young man led him to the awakening point. It's fair. However, while we recognizing the significance of the external cause, we should not neglect the work of the Holy Spirit in our conversion. As we have concluded earlier, that God takes the initiation, the initiative to intervene in our sin and terminate our misery. It is also consistent to conclude that unless the Holy Spirit works in our hearts and minds, no one would experience the spiritual awakening, but continue to be deceived by our sinful self. In other words, 
the waking up of this young man, returning to his father, and the determination of confession and repentance were outcomes of the internal work of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, the honor and praises belong to not ourselves, not to this young man, but to the gracious God. This parable should be a mirror to all of us. Should be a mirror. When we're looking at this parable, you should see yourself from it, through it. Friends, before this man could ever go to his father, he first had to come back to himself. It is the same thing. Before we could ever come back to our heavenly father, we first have to come back to ourselves. Come back to yourself means a lot of practical things. It means stop making excuses. Stop deceiving yourselves. Stop pointing fingers to others. Stop postponing that painful moment of a honest self-evaluation. And stop blaming everyone else, but not blaming yourself. What should we do? How can we come back to ourselves? Start examining yourself. Start in being true and honest to your heart. Start searching inwardly. Start striving to live up to God's word. Friends, do not just stop here of coming back to yourself. Come to yourself is not the end, but come to your father's house is. If you're lost, Frustrated, confused, despaired, despised, weak, needy, lonely, you name it. Friends, it is time for you to wake up and go to your Heavenly Father's house. Make your confession. Ask Him to forgive you, and you will be forgiven. Your Father is watching intently for your return, and he has prepared tremendous love and blessings for you. So friends, God loves you. So he sent his son Jesus Christ to find you. Today, this message is the best proof that he does not leave you or let you perish. This opportunity of gathering together, sitting here, hearing God's word is the clear proof of God's love towards you. He loves you so much so that he sent his son to die for you. He continues to use his word, particularly in this morning, this message, to call you to come back to him to come back to your heavenly Father. Come back to him. Be his loved children. 
glorified Him and enjoy Him forever in His eternal love. I hope you're encouraged. Let's pray. 天父我们再次的献上我们的感激谢谢主你如此的爱我们谢谢你呼召我们回到你面前谢谢你在我们还是罪人的时候你就拆你的儿子耶稣基督为我们死你的爱就向我们显明了谢谢你在救赎大功的